If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Welcome to Turning Point. The angels of heaven aren't alone in serving their master in the unseen realm. They are opposed by Satan's agents of evil, an army of demons. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah shares biblical evidence for what demons have the power to do, as well as what they're powerless to do. From his series, Angels, here's David to introduce today's captivating message, Hell's Angels. Do you believe in demons? People ask me that all the time. Do I believe in demons? Of course. Here's another question. Can a Christian be demonized? Can he be controlled by a demon? Well, we're going to find out some answers about that as we open our Bibles together and we talk about this subject, Hell's Angels. This whole series on angels is available to you. Um, first of all, you can get it on CD. Every lesson that I've taught has been recorded and produced. There's a CD package you can get, uh, and, and that's available to you. You can also get this in printed form um, in the book called Angels. This book was uh, published by Multnomah Press, and it's now available to you from Turning Point for a gift of any size during the month of July. As we move toward the end of the age, we are told that uh, principalities and powers are going to have a much more active role. So I would think it would be in our best interest to be prepared to understand what's going on when this all happens. And you may not be able to write it all down every day. So here it is, written down for you in a book and it's yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of July. We're simply asking you to help us do what we do in sharing the Word of God. I'm convinced that in these days, these critical days in our culture, it's the Word of God that is the only stability we have. We need to get the Word of God into the hearts of people, into the hands of people, and most of all, into the lives of people. You help us do that with your gift. We say thank you with the book. Well, let's get started with today's lesson as we open our hearts to this discussion. We've already learned as we have studied about Lucifer that his proud rebellion was not experienced in isolation. That when he fell and became Satan, he took with him many of the angels over whom he had gained influence. And a host of the angels fell. Matthew 12, 24 refers to Satan as the ruler of demons. Demons are Satan's servants committed to his plan to thwart the plan of God. While there are some today who deny the reality of demons, the student of the Bible doesn't really have a choice. It's not something that I would choose to talk about, nor would it be my choice for an independent study from the Word of God. But if you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you are constantly confronted with the presence of demonic forces. Over 80 times in the New Testament, we are introduced to demons. And in most cases, it is in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
So if we say we believe in the historicity of Jesus and the accuracy of the Bible concerning his life, we have really no choice but to accept the presence of demonic forces in our world, at least in the world of Jesus Christ as he walked upon this earth. In fact, I went through the Gospels, and I haven't time to give you all the references because there are so many, but the Gospels are filled with the encounters that Jesus had with people who were demon-possessed. Here are just a few of the references that I've collected for you to view. Mark 1.32, at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Mark 1.39, and he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Matthew 4.24, then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed. Luke 7.21, at that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Luke 8.2, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. You can't really get away from it. You have to accept the fact that in the world in which Jesus lived, and I believe in our world today, there is this presence of demonic forces. The Gospels are eloquent with this truth that Christ believed in the reality of demons and demonstrated his power over them often. So what is a demon anyway? Well, another term that is used to describe a demon in the New Testament is the word unclean spirits. It's found in Mark 6 and verse 7, where we are told that Jesus called the twelve to himself and gave them power over unclean spirits, a synonym for a demon. Acts 8, 7, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Luke 4, 33, now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. There the terms are all together in one verse. The Bible teaches that demons are rational beings. They are not diseases. They are not ailments. I hear people all the time talking about the demon of the flu or the demon of arthritis or the demon of this and the demon of that. You know, they may torment you as if they were demons, but demons are not abstract thoughts. They are not ailments or diseases according to the word of God. They are personalities. They have all of the attributes of a person. For instance, did you know that demons have faith? James 2.19 tells us that the demons believe in God and they tremble. Demons do better in their relationship with God than a lot of people I know. Have you noticed? The Bible goes on to give us picture after picture of demonic presence acknowledging the historicity and reality of Jesus Christ. For instance, in Matthew 8, verses 16 and 29, there is an encounter that Jesus had with a demon. Listen to the words of this text. When evening had come, they brought many to Jesus who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. And suddenly the demons cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? 
Have you come here to torment us before our time? The demons rationally knew who Jesus was. They knew that they had an appointment with judgment. They knew that Jesus may have come to give them judgment before their time. So you see, they are not abstract thoughts. They're not ailments or diseases. They're real persons in the sense of a personality being composed of intellect, emotion, and will. Mark 5, 6, and 7 says, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. (laughs) Demons are rational beings, according to the word of God. There are all kinds of ideas about the origin of demons. Some people say that they're just the superstitious designation for certain diseases and ailments. (laughs) That demons, as I've mentioned, are just the bad things that happen to you. For some of you, it may be the person you're living with. You couldn't help it. It just happened that way. You're living with a demon. You'd say it all the time inside. (laughs) But that has no basis whatsoever in the scripture. Some folks have taught that the demons are the souls of the departed evil people. In other words, all the bad people who died, their souls are the demons. That is an ancient Greek thought. So that Adolf Hitler is running around someplace as a demon, waiting to inhabit another person. But the problem with that is, there again, is no evidence in the word of God at all to support that view. Some people have taught, and this is a long theological term, and I'm just going to say it, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining it, but some people have taught that demons are the disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic race. What that means is that long before the world was created, there was another antediluvian creation, and out of that creation, the demons came forth. Once again, you will study this book from the front to the back and not find one shred of evidence to support that. So what are we left to believe? The fact is that demons are nothing more nor less than the angels who fell with Satan and came to be his servants on this earth. He is called the prince of the demons. And there is strong indication from the book of Revelation that when Satan fell, when Lucifer the angel became Satan the devil, that he drew after him a third of the angel population, according to Revelation 12. If that's the truth, then there are an awful lot of angelic demons out there because we know something about the innumerable hosts of heaven. Now, when you study the Bible, there are two kinds of demons that you learn about. First of all, and I'll just give you these categories quickly, there's what we might call the fallen and the free, and the fallen and the imprisoned. The fallen and the free are the demons who are creating all the havoc in the world today. We've discovered that when Satan fell, there were those who followed him. We are told in Matthew 25, 41, that Satan and his angels are going to be confined forever in the lake of fire. So Satan and his angels, that's the host of the evil angels in the world today. And those are the ones who are running around free, creating all the stress in the world under Satan's control. But it's a very strange thing when you read the Bible. In 2 Peter and again in the book of Jude, we learn that there's a whole group of these fallen angels who aren't free. They are in prison. They are, according to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, they are cast down to hell 
in the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. A whole group of the fallen angels are in hell or a place we call Tartarus, an awful evil place. And then the Bible tells us in Jude verse 6, the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode, God has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Those two passages of scripture tell us, men and women, that there's a certain class of the fallen angels that we know as demons who are already imprisoned in a place called Tartarus, one of the compartments of hell, and they will be there forever and ever. They will never get out. And it's because the scripture says they did not keep their proper domain. Now, here's the question theologically that we have to solve. Why are some of them in prison and some of them not? And most important of all, why are some of the demons who followed Satan in his rebellion in prison and he's running around loose? That doesn't seem fair. Well, what mistake we often make when we interpret these two passages is that we think that the verses are talking about their original sin when they fell with Satan. It's not talking about that at all. It says they left their proper domain, and when they left their proper domain, they were consigned immediately to a place where they are being reserved for the final judgment. You say, well, what did these certain angels do that caused God to put them immediately in confinement? I'm glad you asked, because I want to tell you. And I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 6. For in the sixth chapter of Genesis, we have a most remarkable story. Most teachers will just pass right over this because it's too hot to handle. They don't want to deal with it. But I've always been a brave soul. So we're going to jump right into this. And I want to tell you what I believe this means. Genesis chapter 6. And I want to read verses 1 and 2 and again in verse 4. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 and verse 4. Now it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And verse 4 says, And there were giants on earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now watch carefully. The reference in this passage in Genesis to the sons of God is parallel to the use of that term in the book of Job in reference to the angels. The sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 are a reference to the angels. Now watch. In other words, when the fallen angels saw the daughters of men, they were filled with lust and they cohabited with them bearing offspring which were half angelic and half human. And this was a violation of the God-given boundaries that so grieved God that he decided immediately to send a flood and destroy the whole earth, saving only eight souls alive through the ark. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, do you really believe that? Yeah, I believe that. Matthew says, in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels of God in heaven. So how did the angels fall in love with the daughters of men and give seed to them and cause this hybrid creation? Well, please read the verse carefully. 
Jesus did not say that angels are sexless. In fact, we already have decided that by reading the scripture carefully. As we learned earlier, angels are always described in the Bible as being male in gender. Apparently, in the situation described in Genesis, the male angels cohabited with the female humans and the result was a superhuman product called in biblical language the Nephilim, meaning the giant. And God was so grieved when that happened because the angels who did not keep their proper domain, remember what the book says? They left their proper domain and entered into the realm of human flesh and God was so grieved about that that he brought down destruction upon the earth and cast those angels into Tartarus and reserve them in chains forever and ever and ever because of that sin. Now take your Bibles and turn clear to the other end of the book, to the book of Jude, right before Revelation. And again, there's just one little chapter in Jude, just one little group of verses. And I want to show you how clearly the Bible supports what I've just been saying. So very clearly that you just can't get over the truth of this and how it blends together. Jude verse 6 and follow along in the context. Now watch carefully. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, God has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Now read the next verse. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these. In a similar manner to who? To the angels. Having given themselves over to sexual immorality and going after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of an eternal fire. What happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? You know what happened. The men of Sodom and Gomorrah went after the other men. They went after, in the words of the scripture, strange flesh. And the result of that was that God rained down fire and judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and it was destroyed. And Jude says that this is just like what happened with the angels who went after strange flesh and were judged back in Genesis chapter 6. So the angels who are confined are those angels who left their proper domain I do need to tell you that the Word of God is very clear about the nature of sexual sin. And we need not be ashamed to stand up to what the Scripture says and understand that. Here is an illustration that even the angels of God who fell were not protected from punishment when they left their proper domain. All right. Now... The question that comes up as we deal with this issue, and this is the most awesome question that you get asked if you ever teach on this subject, is what about demon possession? I need to tell you, I don't like this subject at all. I preach this under duress. It's not my choice. I'm preaching it because we need to understand what the Word of God says about this, and we're going to go on to other things. But let me just very quickly tell you what I understand and what the Bible teaches about demon possession. Charles Ryrie, who is a great theologian who simplifies truth for all of us, says, Demon possession is a demon residing in a person, exerting direct control and influence over that person with certain derangement of mind and body. Demon possession, says Ryrie, must always be distinguished from demon influence or demon activity in relationship to a person. 
Now, in the Bible, again, we have many instances of people being demon-possessed. What a demon-possessed person is like is they are totally unlike themselves. A demon, an evil spirit, an unclean spirit inhabits that person and takes control of that body from the inside out so that they begin to do all manner of things which are not characteristic of them. In fact, I went through the Gospels and just wrote down some of the things that happened in the New Testament when people were possessed of a demon. Some of them lost their ability to speak. They became mute. Luke eleven fourteen says he was casting out a demon and it was mute. Mark nine twenty five tells us that sometimes when demons possessed a person, they not only lost their ability to speak, but they lost their ability to hear. They became deaf and mute. Jesus said as he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him and enter no more. Now please hear me when I say this. These are all things that happen to people who were possessed by a demon, but that does not necessarily mean that anybody who has these characteristics is demon-possessed. But in the Bible, people who were normally able to speak and normally able to hear when they were possessed of a demon lost that ability. The demon took control of their bodies. Watch this. In the Bible, we are told that some of them had convulsions. Mark 1.26 says, when the unclean spirit had convulsed him... Some of them were filled with fierceness. Matthew 8, 28, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Some of them were falling into fire and water, according to Matthew 17, 15. Luke 9, 39 tells us that some demon-possessed people foamed at the mouth and behold, a spirit seizes him and suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, says the Bible. We are told in Mark chapter 9 and verse 18 that sometimes when a person was demon-possessed, they expressed gnashing of the teeth. (laughs) And in Mark chapter 5 and verse 4, we are told that some demon-possessed people became incredibly strong because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And I've talked with missionaries who have told me about experiences they have had with demon-possessed people in India and Africa and China and they have said that sometimes the incredible power that demon has over that person transforms them into a totally different kind of person with great strength and fierceness and it's a frightening, scary thing what can happen when a demon possesses a person. All of the films that have been made that have come out of The Exorcist and all of the other things, they may have carried it to the extreme and sensational, but they probably haven't painted the picture too sensational for what it's really like when a person is controlled by one of Satan's emissaries. But I have good news for you. You say, well, Pastor, in this message, it's about time for some, and I believe that. The question is often asked, can a Christian be demon-possessed? I don't know if you know this, but all over the country in theological seminaries and in think tanks and all, this is one of the hot issues. Can a demon possess a Christian? Do you know, a lot of thinking has changed on that issue in the last years among evangelicals. When I was growing up in the church and going to seminary and studying the Bible in a formal way, no real strong, solid evangelical would ever give reason to believe that a Christian could be possessed of a demon. But in recent years... Because of the addition of psychology into the mix 
and because of the strong input of experience as opposed to the standard of the Word of God, there are many very highly thought of evangelical teachers who are now saying that Christians can be possessed of a demon. And I'm just here to tell you that's not possible. You can't have a demon possessing you if you have the Holy Spirit within you. You can be obsessed. Demons can obsess you, but they can't possess you. And um, I think that's helpful to know if you happen to be going through some uh, demonic activity right now. We'll have more about that tomorrow. Uh, I don't know that we'll ultimately clear up all of the questions you have, but we're trying to do our very best to help you understand. Here is what the Bible says. This is what you can count on. I may not know about some of the things that you are thinking about right now, but I'm going to tell you what I know the Bible says, and that will be a, a strength to you as you face the issues before you. So tomorrow, part two of Hell's Angels. Well, uh, I have your attention here for just a moment at the end of this time, and I want to remind you that we are excited about some rallies that are going to happen as we move into the fall. On October 5th, we'll be in Tampa, Florida at the Yingling Center. October the 7th in Jacksonville, Florida at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena. October the 26th in Houston, Texas at the Berry Center. October the 28th in Fort Worth, Texas at Dickey's Arena. All of our musical people, our band, our everybody will be there. We will have a wonderful night of rejoicing. Get your tickets at our website. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current teaching series, Angels, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. It will help you separate fact from fiction about angels, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to instantly access our content. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.org slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Angels here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. The British apologist and writer G.K. Chesterton once observed that men sometimes do bad things from good motives and sometimes they do good things from bad motives. The thought I would add is this. 
really doesn't matter either way, because the Bible says God causes all things to work together for good. God is not surprised by men's actions or motives. He's bigger than them both. Once when the Apostle Paul was in prison, some men took advantage of his absence by trying to gain notoriety for themselves as preachers. Paul said he didn't care about their motives as long as the gospel was being preached. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's motives on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today. 